Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. good to see all of y'all. Is everybody having a good half a week so far? Yeah? All right. Awesome. So I am honored to be able to to share with y'all tonight, and basically that's kind of how tonight is. It's basically me sharing something that that I started studying that I fell in love with, and I hope that y'all get something out of it too, but that's basically where it come from. I started studying something on my own. I sit outside doing these COVID screenings, and when there's no patients, I bring my Bible, and I just get started, and this is kind of where God led me, so. Um, But it seems like every time I start studying one thing, it kind of leads to 20 other things. Do y'all do that? You know, you start studying, you're like, oh, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to come back and study that later. I'm going to come back and study that later. So that's kind of what happened to me a little bit, too. Um, But as Sister Patty says, you know, I love the Word. So um, that excites me. I started studying worship such as like songs, musical instruments, and basically how worship was warfare. That's what I kind of started studying. And um, sometimes, and I'm really bad about this, we like to think that we can think our way out of a situation. I'm really, really bad about it. Um, Lacey had that little t-shirt party and I almost bought the shirt. It said, hang on a minute, i got to overthink this. Because we do that. We're, we're human. We tend to overthink everything. And so then we rationalize and we strategize because if I can't overthink it, then I'm going to make a pros and cons list about it because, you know, that's going to help me strategize and and rationalize out my plan. And then, you know, sometimes we just tend to pray and pray and pray some more on it. And so when I was studying that, God said, you know, all of those things are not bad. Those things are good. But often when I got to studying this, according to the Bible, the key to most breakthroughs was worship. It wasn't, it wasn't just sitting down and analyzing it. It wasn't overthinking it. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not the, but the key was worship. Every single time a biblical breakthrough happened, you can always trace it back to some sort of worship. And so um, often the worshipers were sent out first in the battles. And the Bible says that the enemy is defeated to the sound of the tambourine. And uh, you have to mix your praying with your praise. And that's kind of where I kind of went into this. Before I get started, though, the very first scripture that I thought about whenever I thought about musical instruments and those type of things is, and I've taught a lesson on this before, is about, um, I'm sure y'all know which one I'm talking about, but it's talking about the clanging cymbal. And if you think of a musical instrument and you hear that clanging cymbal, that scripture just kind of makes you go, like that. Because I want to make sure from the very beginning that I say this. It does not matter what type of worship you're into. If you don't have faith and love behind it, then you are a clanking symbol. Okay? So every single thing that I'm talking about right here with worship has faith and love behind it. You can't play this sort of thing out empty-handed. You can't. It's just like if somebody hands you an instrument and tells you, if I hand Donna the fiddle and say, get after it, Donna's not going to know what to do. But if Donna has the faith that Donna can do it, the love of God in her, and she studies and gets there, she's going to eventually be able to play that. So do you understand what I'm saying? We're not going into this empty-handed. So this is not for people who... I want to make sure you understand that this is for people who are willing to use worship as warfare. 
That's what this lesson is. I want to make sure that I bring that across. And I want you to understand the importance of it. Um, music will often usher us into worship. Um, I'm not saying, I believe that you should be able to worship if there's not even a song playing, but a lot of times music gets us in that mindset. It, it helps our mind relax, we become freer, we start talking to God. Music is very, very important. I mean, if it wasn't, it would not be all throughout the Bible. It is very, very important. So um, they use music for praise, for joy, for gladness, for rejoicing, for triumph, singing, warfare, victory, celebrations, welcomings. So what I want you to see is, do you, can you see that the instrument of praise and warfare can happen at the exact same time? When you're worshiping and you're praising, you can be doing battle and warfare at the same exact time. I think that sometimes we get caught up in the fact of we got to enter into that and we're going to make, okay, this section for five minutes is going to be praise and this section is going to be for when I battle and this section is going to be when I close my prayer. And that's not how it has to be. Those can go hand in hand because worship is warfare. Praise is warfare. So the war that you're battling does not have to be all ugly. You know, we always think of war as a bloody, nasty thing, but it doesn't have to be because your war or battle can often lead you to not just spiritual victories, but it's going to add elevation to your praise. It's going to bring you higher. So I started studying scriptures that were related to praise and to worship and so I just want to share with y'all just some of what that I found in these. And all of these you've probably heard before, and there's a lot of simple stuff behind them, but I really just love these scriptures, and I want y'all to, to be able to hear them. Um, the first one is actually when they're getting ready to move the ark. And um, so this is found in 2 Samuel. And I have quite a few scriptures. If you want to bounce along, you can. If you want to write them down, I don't know. Everybody does notes their own way. I write down everything, but I'm, I'm that person. So this one's found in 2 Samuel 6 and 5. And I just want to share that one. It says, David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. Why did I pull this one out? Right there, what does it say? It says, David... And all the people of Israel were celebrating and playing what? All kinds of musical instruments. Why did that ring a bell with me? This is what I want to tell. He wasn't satisfied with mastering one thing. He sought to learn many. David played many instruments. So we are not of just one single use in a church body. But we can be used in so many different ways if we are open to it. And so not everyone is going to play the exact same way. We are all to add to the body. If I was to hand you, um, you know, and I, and I use this because I'm going to go ahead and put this out there. Any of you know me, like I love a tambourine. It's like a thing for me, and I'll share that with you all in a little bit. But if I was to hand you my tambourine, which I probably wouldn't, <laughs> but if I was and I handed it to Jennifer <laughs> and I handed it to, to Lisa, I handed it to Donna, they're all going to play it a different way. That, it's fine because that's the way you're going to do it. So just because Jennifer plays it that way does not mean that Donna has to play it the exact same way. Even if she's playing the same song, doesn't mean you have to play it the exact same way as Jennifer plays it. So you can be doing the exact same thing and not do it like Jennifer does. It's a spirit of criticism and it's a spirit of comparison and we don't want to do that. 
So why did I say that? Because David played on all manners of instruments. We don't need to just master one thing, but we need to be open to whatever God has for us. So don't never say, not me. I would never do that. Because I can promise you that the one thing that you say, he's going to call you out to do. <laughs> Trust me. Um, the second scripture that I found that I really liked was in 1 Samuel. And I do love Samuel because we studied that in great depth and I went all the way through it. So I, like I said, I had another one in there that I wanted to share and that's 1 Samuel 18. And I'm going to start in verse 6. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel come out to meet King Saul. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David. And he turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away. Because if I can't kill him, and I'm scared of him, then I'm going to send him somewhere. And he sent him away to be commander over 1,000 men, and David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Two things. Number one that I seen in this was the women played and danced for David, had won the battle. They sang, and Saul become angry and jealous. In victory and praise, there will be those that will take notice and not be happy for you. It's going to happen. When you're singing and you're at the top of your game and you're victorious in praise, don't think that everybody's going to be happy with you. They're not going to be. So they will not understand where your blessings come from. And I found a thing today whenever I was studying, and it kind of went along with that. And it said, The way you praise the Lord will never make sense to them until they hear the story behind the praise, yet some will still not understand. So they may not understand the way you praise because they don't know the story behind the way you praise. They're not going to understand your dance. And these ladies, though, they recognized David's victory. They recognized it was a victory for all of them. It wasn't just a victory for David. They rejoiced in it. But Saul, the same very thing that these ladies come out of their houses dancing, playing tambourines and cymbals and was so excited for, Saul saw as a threat. Do you see what the difference is? Perspective and how you're looking at things. And what type of mindset you were into. Because you can look at your brother or your sister in Christ and say, they shine, we shine, everybody shines. Or you can look and use the spirit of compressing and see them as a threat to you. And that's not what the body is supposed to be like. The second thing in this says that David, I love this, kept playing his harp as Saul hurled not once, 
But it says twice at him. Don't stop your praise just because someone is hurling arrows. God was with David and God is with you. Just because somebody says, I can't believe that she did that. Can you believe that she, that she got up there and that she done that? Just because somebody hurls an arrow at you. If God told you and God is with you, just like he was with David, don't stop dancing and praising just because somebody else is slinging something at you. This is between you and God. And so whenever I kept going, um, it, of course, if you cannot study praise without studying some of the Psalms. And I love the Psalms in every single version, but I absolutely love the Psalms in the Passion Translation. And I, and I actually bought this for several people, and um, my mom started reading this. She got just the Psalms, and I told her, it's like a love letter. I just love it, and I love everything about it. And it just makes me happy whenever I read them. But um, this one's called uh, Triumphant Praise, and it's found in Psalms 149. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's time to sing to God a brand new song so that all of his holy people will hear how wonderful he is. May Israel be enthused with joy because of him. And may the sons of Zion pour out their joyful praises to their king. Break forth with dancing. Make music and sing God's praises with the rhythm of drums, for he enjoys his faithful lovers. He adorns the humble with his beauty, and he loves to give them the victory. His godly lovers triumph in the glory of God, and their joyful praises will rise even while others sleep. God's high and holy praises fill their mouths, for their shouted praise are their weapons of war. These warring weapons will bring vengeance on every opposing force and every resistant power. To bind kings with chains and rulers with iron shackles, praise-filled warriors will enforce the judgment decreed against their enemies. This is the glorious honor he gives to all of his godly lovers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> praise his name in the dance. When we have fallen asleep and given up, Still ring your praises. I loved when it said, even while they sleep, their praises ring. Because God enjoys our faithful praise. You see, saints sing. We not only sing for salvation, but we're also singing whenever God brings judgment even upon us. Because there's no better way to be whipped than by Jesus. <laughs> so we have to praise him for every single bit of it. If you turn and you go into the next psalm, as a matter of fact, 150, it's called the Hallelujah Chorus. It says, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His holy sanctuary. Praise Him in the stronghold in the sky. Praise Him for the miracles of might. Praise Him for His magnificent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpets blasting. Praise Him with piano and guitar. Praise Him with drums and dancing. Praise Him with the loud resounding clash of cymbals. Praise Him with every instrument you can find and let everyone join in the crescendo of ecstatic praise to Yahweh. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So I love because it says, with every instrument you can find. So <laughs> it is no... Um, <laughs> Lindsay and I laugh about this. You know, we, you know, we tell them all the time, like if they ever need my feeling to sing, we got this. <laughs> Because, you know, it's not just about the fact that you can carry a tune. Sometimes it's just the fact that you can sing with praise and joy, you know. And so whenever I'm sitting out there, I sing just like I would if I was up here because I love God and that brings me joy and it brings Him joy because He knows that I'm singing about Him. 
So if you don't know how to play an instrument, you say, this doesn't apply to me. I can't play an instrument. Your mouth is an instrument. And when they're up here and they're worshiping and praising, we should be right along with them. Worshiping and praising. And so um, the next psalm that I led me to was Psalm 81. And it's a call, a call to praise. They were actually getting ready to have a feast. And if you just look at some of it, it says, Lord, just singing about you makes me strong. So I'll keep shouting for joy <laughs> to Jacob's God, my champion. Let the celebration begin. I will sing with drum accompany it with the sweet sound of the harp. Go ahead, blow the jubilee trumpet to begin this feast. Blow it every joyous celebration, for God has given us these seasons of joy. And, it, you know, if you read on and it says, I have removed your back-breaking burdens, have freed your hands from hard labor and toil. You called out to me in your time of trouble. I rescued you. If you keep reading on, you're going to see all throughout it, he's calling you to praise. Whether you're happy, mad, sad, glad, I don't know what kind of pants you got on, but whatever it is, God's calling to you to praise. It don't matter. Um, so I feel like it does not matter what season you're in, God is still worthy of praise. And we get to the point where we're getting these bad seasons and we're just done. We get to the point where we're like, he, he ain't done nothing for me lately. You know? And we get to the point where I don't see him answering anything and I don't see any, I don't see any accomplishments and I feel burdened and I feel overloaded and my kids aren't minded and my husband and I are having issues and my job's junk and I'm just not financially... We're getting all these things and the very first thing we stop doing is we stop praising. We stop our worship. And our prayers, because we stop our praise and worship, our prayers become something that we are doing out of an obligation instead of something that we're doing out of a desired need to see Him meet it. Y'all understand what I'm saying there? Like, do you ever notice that if you go into prayer and you're excited and you're so happy God has done something, boy, we are all over the place. Yes, Jesus, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, hallelujah. Yeah. And then if we're not getting answers, we're like... Well, Lord, I just I don't know when you're going to come. You know, I don't know when you're going to meet it. We tend to get down. And God doesn't want us to be that way because the fact that we woke up that morning and had a breath in our bodies is enough. If he don't do nothing else that day, if I lose my house, my car, I always tell Jason, look, baby, they can't take the kids. You know, that's why I always tell him, you know, because we've been down and out before. I'm sure most of you have. And Jason's always like, I don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to do it? I said, look, they cannot take our children. You know, but honestly, now that I think about it, what I should be saying is, you know what? They can't take our God because they can't, because they can take the kids. <laughs> they, they can take the one that needs his college paid for. Um, but, you know, but they cannot take my God. I don't know if y'all, whenever I did the thing out in the parking lot, and I said, I told, I, t I said, you cannot steal devil what you did not give me. You didn't give me salvation. You didn't give me joy. You didn't fill my heart. You cannot take what you did not give. Anything that we let him have, anything that we let Satan have is because we released it to him. I'm real big about, and I t don't speak it, Pep. Don't say it. Because he hears you. Jason's like, well, he already knows what I'm thinking. I'm saying, yeah, but don't put it out your lips. Especially in front of the children. Because then they put it out their lips. And I'm like, then he's just thinking, well, everybody's thinking it. And I'm just there saying, no, I don't think it. I claim victory over it. I'm real big about that. I'm like, let's just claim victory over it. You know, and even if I don't mean it, I'm going to say it. I claim victory over it because I'm like, I'd rather say that than anything else. 
So, you know, even if he just does that, even if he just woke you up and you got your kids, whether you're happy for them or not, it's enough to be thankful for. God saved us. He took us, whether you were, and people always go into spirit of comparison here too, like they think that to have some amazing testimony that you've had to been in the shallows, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the gutters with no food and, and no nothing, and that's not it. Yes, that's amazing. But do you don't think God rejoices in the salvation of the clean cup person who never did nothing and mom and daddy's favorite that come to Jesus? He rejoices the same exact way. He's happy when all of his children come home. All of them. He doesn't want to see one lost and perished. And so he is enough for us to want to praise and to worship him. And, I mean, to me alone, that is, that is worthy. And I, and I will never see it as nothing but, nothing but an honor. Um, Isaiah 30 and 32, it says, And the Lord strikes them with his rod of punishment. His people will celebrate with tambourines and harps. Lifting his mighty arm, he will fight the Assyrians. So it's saying right here that an enemy is defeated with the sounds of a tambourine. In your praise, you're slaying giants. When you're praising God through everything that you're going through, you are slaying giants. You are defeating things that are coming against you, whether it's in your spirit, in your mind, however you choose to see it. But whatever instrument you're holding is an instrument of warfare, and you are slaying giants. You are tearing down strongholds. You are breaking down walls. And you say, well, I don't worship like that person does. Any way that you worship is your way of worship. Don't be scared to, to release yourself and tear down your walls. Don't be scared to do that. Don't be scared to, to act. That's you. That's what God is telling you to do. Follow him. That's all he's ever asked of us. In uh, Jeremiah 31, Verses 1 through 4, it says, In that day, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. Those who survive the coming destruction will find blessings even in the barren land, for I will give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel, and you will again be happy. And dance merrily with your tambourines. He has loved us with an everlasting love. And he wants to be adorned with praise. There is nothing that we can do that he's not going to love us. Nothing. There's nothing. We, can't, we can never go too far that he will not always allow us back home. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that mindset too. I've gone too far. I'm nowhere near worthy of what God would call of me to do. And to me, that's sad because it's time wasted when we dwell on that mindset. And, um, and I don't want to see anybody have to do that because it, you're wasting a day. You're wasting a day to love him, to praise, to serve. You're wasting it. Why? You know, it's just like me saying, well, I stink today because I've been outside working the yard. I'm going to stink tomorrow, so I'm just going to lay here in my bed and not take a bath and continue to stink. You know, nobody around me is going to appreciate that. Probably not Jason. <laughs> But you understand what I'm saying? It's allowing yourself to lay in it. 
You, I mean, you're, you're saying, okay, well, I've already seen, I've already done all these things. Why? You would not allow your own body to lay there and stench to the next day just because you're going to fail again the next day or just because you're going to work the heart. No. You're going to take a bath at night, you know? So it's just like the same thing with God. He does not want us to waste away and be like, well, I've already come this far. You know, He doesn't want that. He wants us to always come back. And it says, my, one of my favorite verses in that one, it says, survive the destruction and found blessings in a barren land. You have survived destruction. If you are sitting here tonight, you have survived destruction. And you're finding blessings in a barren land, whether you choose to see them or not. Because what once was barren, God is going to make fruitful and plentiful. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I look at it, whenever I read this, I seen, I seen like a vine coming up. And, you know, I thought about destruction. I thought about a weed eater just taking that down. You know, if you, if, if, but once God's to that root, it's going to continue to come back up. God's going to continue to do what he's going to do. You know what I'm saying? There's no spirit of destruction that can come against you because God says you will find blessings in a barren land. You can always start back over. Always. Uh, my next scripture talks about David when he was going to Israel. And um, that's found in 1 Chronicles 13 and 8. It says, David and all of Israel were celebrating before God with, and this is my favorite word, all their might, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. And so why do I love it? They play before God with all of their might. They put everything into it. Are we putting everything into our worship? Are we giving him everything, or do you hold back? I had to ask myself that. Do we put everything into the worship? And we've talked about this before when we were, I think we were at a home night at Lacey's even, and we were talking about uh, things that had happened, and somebody said, well, we were sitting there, and I felt like I needed to do this, but I didn't. And then the next person says, God told me to do something too, and I didn't do it either. You know, and then I think, wow, you know, I mean, we sit there and we let you, you know, you kind of let your spirits get hindered because you think this is odd, this is different. But if God calls you, then that is what you're supposed to do. And so it says, worship in the Old Testament was more than a sober religious exercise. It should not become a religious exercise. You should not walk in and do the automatic elevation. If so, then we could all come in here with strings attached and God could play us like a little puppet master back and forth. That's not what he wants. You know, and I'm sure y'all have seen the thing on where they said, how do you praise? And I, I think I said to the girls before, you know, everybody praises different. If you've ever watched that comedian, you know, because you got the people that's like cradling the baby, yeah. touchdown, you know what I'm talking about, YMCA, you know what I'm talking about. Like there's all different forms of worship. Everybody worships different. I mean, sometimes I look up and I think, boy, you sure look stupid because, I mean, they're sitting up there and talking and I'm like, yeah, you! Yeah, you! You know, and I'm pointing number one and Jesus thinking, girl, I don't need the Lakers fan club up here. I'm just like, number one. Yeah, Jesus. You know, but it's me and it's what I felt at the moment, so I roll with it, you know. But I'm just saying there's all different forms of worship, so don't think that your worship looks silly. As a matter of fact, the very, very best thing you can do is close your eyes and don't look around you. And just get with it. You know what I mean? And they laugh because I tell Jason, I'm like, I like the end seat, Jason. I like the end because I feel like I can step out a little bit, you know, like this. You know? And Jason has to have the end because his leg and everything. So, and I feel bad for him and everything. Because he's my husband. I love him and everything. And so, 
So the other day when we all got up in here, I knew I was having a good, you know, I woke up and I was just like, boy, I just can't wait to get to church, you know. So we come in, and of course, Jason has to have the end seat, and i got to sit next to him because you wives, that's what we're supposed to do. Have a seat next down to your husband. He's the head of the house and all that good stuff. Okay. So, you know, y'all know the umbrella, God, your husband, then your kids. You know, we've talked about that before. That's how it's honestly supposed to be. God, husband, kids, man before your children. Well, anyway, so I was sitting there <laughs> with him, and Griffin was sitting next to me, and I told him, let's go down. <laughs> and he's like, what? And Peyton was already mad because he had to sit on the outside of Griffin because it was his turn to sit on the outside of Griffin. And so I was like, you guys get down. I need area. I need space. I need it because I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I feel happy today. I mean, I might just pop one of y'all. I don't mean to. You know, and Griffin's like, okay, okay. And then when we stand up to worship, they slowly start creeping my way. And then I'm like, if I hit you, I don't care because, I mean, I warned you. I warned you about my spirit of praise, you know, because I don't want to hinder it. You know, I warned you that I was in a very good mood today, and I'm probably going to do my thing. And, you know, and so they worshipped with all of their might. It was not a religious exercise. They didn't walk in. You know, as soon as the chorus starts, you're like, yes, 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 Jesus, yes. You know, but when the chorus is over, your hands come down. Okay, that we don't raise our hands unless it's during the chorus. You know, you ever see people like, yep, chorus, down. Oh, the chorus, the chorus. And then you go back down. You know, and that's not what God wants us to do. It's not a religious exercise. David had exuberance as he worshipped God. With dancing and music, as it proved in Scripture, our worship should reflect a healthy balance. Sometimes it needs to be reflective, excited, glorious. Sometimes it needs to be somber. There are times when all I can do is grip a pew and hang my head and just talk to God. I'm still worshiping my way. I want you to understand that I don't think you have to be vocal, play an instrument, scream, shout, do the YMCA. I don't know. I don't think that. But I'm telling you in that moment, however you choose to worship is the way you were meant to worship. If you choose to bow your head and just hang to the pew, if you choose to sit down and lay your head down and just talk to God, that is your way of worshiping Him. He sees it just as He sees the person that's dancing. It's all good to Him. He loves all of it. And so I don't want us to get into religious exercise because we could show enthusiasm and jubilation or we could have serious reflection. Sometimes we just have serious reflection with God. Sometimes whatever is coming up, it's just like, and I'll do it even during the preaching. I'll, I'll bow my head and be like, man, I, I really need to pray about that right now. Like, I don't need to wait till I get home about that. Like, I need to handle up on that, like, right this second. Because, I mean, I needed to, and I felt like I did. And so every single thing that they had, they put it all into worship. They didn't hold anything back. And so as I kept studying... This is where God led me to actually, which is one of the main things that I wanted to discuss. Because all of that is really good. Of course, when you start studying about these, the worship and about, about music and all of those things, honestly, what brought this lesson on is because um, where I used to be at, I was gifted with something at another church. Whenever I wasn't at the church we were at, we were visiting at another church, and we were singing and, and doing something, and uh, one of the men at the church come up to me, and he was like, I have something for you. And look, you can ask Jason, like, I was pumped. He hand brings out this tambourine. And I'm like, yes, give it here. You know, I was pumped about that. And, uh, and I know that sounds stupid, but it's a thing for me. I just love it. And, um, and I've studied a lot on it. So anyway, when I left where I was at, I left my tambourine behind. <laughs> 
And I really, really struggled with that. Like, I went, because I knew that where it was at, it was just going to sit there with drawing dust on it. Nobody was going to play it. You know what I mean? Nobody was going to worship with it. So it really made me sad. But I didn't want to get back to that old tambourine. I wanted new joy. I wanted new life. That's the reason that I left behind some of those things, because I wanted something new. And so they will never, ever know it, but some dear friends of mine came out one night, and they will never know that I cried severely after that because they gifted me with, with a new tambourine. And to me, it was a complete semblance of God saying, I am right there with you, and you are right where you need to be because they appreciate what it means to you. It wasn't the fact that they expected me to play it. It was just the fact that they wanted to give it to me because they know that it would bring me joy and laughter and happiness. Do you understand what I'm saying? God was showing me something just through that. If I don't do nothing but put it on an easel and it sits in the center of my coffee table, it is for me a semblance of joy and God saying, you are right where you need to be. I have placed you there. These people will love you and these people will become your family and together you will worship the Lord. And that is what God showed me. And he is continually strengthening those relationships every day. And I'm very, very thankful for it. And so whenever I studied, the first person I thought about, and that's what led me to studying all this, was I started studying on Miriam. How many of you know about Miriam? What all do you know about Miriam? Somebody say it. Speak it out. This is Bible study. Somebody speak it out. What does Miriam do? Does anybody know? Y'all read the Bible. I'm either telling y'all to read the Bible or I'm asking you a question. Y'all read the Bible? Somebody tell me about Miriam. I know my scholars back here to the left know about the Miriam. And Helen, what did Miriam do? Called Miriam's song. She actually does three very pivotal things throughout the Bible, if you've never studied her. And that is honestly what led me to where I was at, because I started studying her one pivotal experience. But man, did God open doors there. So the Moses and the people are getting ready to cross the Red Sea. Actually, God tells Moses to get up and handle his business. If you have not read that story, I suggest that you do it. And I mean exactly that he, did, he said that. He told him, actually told him to get up, quit praying about it, and put action behind it and do something. If you don't believe me, go and look, because he tells him, stop praying and get up and strike at it. Let's do something. And so sometimes God's waiting for us to put our foot out in faith. <laughs> so that's one of the things that he does. So when all of this happens, you're going to see what Miriam does. So it's found in Exodus, and it's found in chapter 15. And I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. So you understand that now Moses has struck the water. The seas have parted. These people are going across into their new land. Who gets crushed into the Red Sea behind them? Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers rushed into the sea, the Lord brought the water crashing down on them. And the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all of the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both the horse and the rider into the sea. 
That is what got me started studying. Number one, I love the fact that Pharaoh and his army went into the water here was nothing but God's protection. So they praised. They praised for merely God's protection. I love how it says that Miriam took a tambourine into her hand first. And then all of the women followed. Miriam was led to praise and therefore she led others to praise. We are always setting an example. Why not an example of praise? Do not think that your children do not watch the way that you worship. They do. Your children will feel more free if you show them how to worship and how to pray and how to talk to the Lord. It's not going to happen in your home if it does not start with you. And so this is where I just truly became fascinated with her. I was like, I've got to learn more about Miriam. And I'd heard stories throughout, but I was like, what can I get from them? So when these people left Egypt, they had to pack in a hurry. How many of you have ever had to pack in a hurry? <laughs> I mean, y'all know y'all forgot y'all's drawers and everything else when y'all got there. You ever have to pack in a hurry? I mean, you, I mean, you know, we got to get this done and got to get it done now. Well, I'm a planner. I like lists. I like to have things planned out. Even my kids go to camp and make a list of their things and put it in their suitcase so they don't forget the things that I've sent with them. And um, I, like, I like to pack and I like to plan. I mean, I've got a trip coming up and I'm like, I ain't ready yet. I ain't ready yet. i got to pack. Because <laughs> you don't know what you're going to need. I always bring more than what I need and all those good things. <laughs> so when they left Egypt, they had to pack in a hurry. And I thought about the last time that I really just had to pack in a hurry. And honestly, y'all, it has been like almost 16 years now. Almost 15, 16 years now when I had to pack in a hurry. The morning that I got the phone call about Jason's accident... I don't know what happened. My logical, level-headed self was gone at that point. And all I knew was I needed to get somewhere, and I needed to get somewhere quick. And I want you all to know that I took the biggest bag I had, and I threw everything in it. I probably had a ball gown in there at that point. <laughs> I mean, I was slinging it from one pillar to one post, and all I was looking for was like, who's driving me? Who? Who's driving me? I can't drive. Who's driving me? Somebody come and get me and get me to where I need to be. And I had to pack in a hurry. Y'all, when I got up there... Y'all even want to know what I wore around that hospital some days? <laughs> Till somebody come and brought me regular clothes. I mean, I think it was like a Hello Kitty nightgown, some shorts. I mean, it was awful. I felt so bad. But I had to pack in a hurry. So when you have to pack in a hurry, you don't remember things sometimes. You just don't. And so, you know, these people were having to leave Egypt in a hurry. So they had to take what few possessions. Now, granted, they're not loading up a car like how we did for vacation they got to carry them. So if somebody handed you something and said, we're leaving, this is your whole entire home, I want you to take with you what's important to you, but you got to carry it. Think about the things that you would take. Think about that. What would you take with you? Think about the things that are precious to you. So you have to take these few possessions. They were being chased as they were leaving. Remember, that's how Pharaoh ended up in the, in the water. They were being chased. So not only are you having to pack what few possessions you have, but you also have a dog at your heels. Now, what does that sound like? It do, girl. Or from the devil, either way you want to look at it. Sign, David, it's fine. I can go either way. Um, so we're being chased. By an Egyptian army. <laughs> Let me tell you. But 
both ways, you have an unknown future. They didn't know where they were going. They had no idea. You know what they did? They trusted. They trusted that God was leading them somewhere, okay? So they had no idea where they were going. Their future was unknown. And so they packed and they threw all this stuff in. So when these waters came down on Pharaoh and his armies behind them and they were safe, their past was behind them. (laughs) And a new future looked bright. This is where the tambourine got brought out. Do you see it? Do you see what I've seen in this story? Before they ever left, futures unknown, they packed their tambourines. They packed their worship before they ever, ever. You want me to tell you why? Because they knew they would dance again. Because our God is a God of faithfulness. So when she played and danced, it was not only for God, it was with God. She packed her worship instrument because she was going to worship again. She knew that it didn't need to sit at home unused. She knew that wherever she was going, she was going to praise God. She packed it on that journey. There could have been a million things that she could have took with her. A silk headscarf, her favorite teapot, anything. But no, she chose her instrument of worship, her instrument of praise. It was important for her to bring it. So I thought to myself, man, how amazing is that? Here is this wonderful Miriam singing Miriam's song, our tambourine player. But if you get into studying Miriam, and apparently some of you need to. <laughs> okay, you're going to ask yourself, what else about Miriam? What else can I get from Miriam? Miriam was a natural leader. Natural. It came to her naturally. She was, it was bred into her. She first, the very first incident that you're going to know about Miriam is, Okay, y'all, I'm going to teach y'all the Bible lesson since we didn't know this. Okay, y'all remember Moses? Remember he's in a little basket floating down the Nile River? Okay. Miriam was the chick in the bushes, the sister. Does this bring back memories now? Is everybody Okay, everybody's rolling with me now. Look at y'all. It's like coming back to y'all, ain't it? Like, like y'all been vacation Bible school or something. Here we go. Okay, so Miriam is who's hanging out in the bushes, okay? Watching over her baby brother, Okay. So she's watching him as he's in this Nile River. She's going to make a way for their natural mother to still be able to be with him. She was a quick thinker under pressure. While she was watching Moses and then the princess come and says, I'm going to take this baby, she thought to herself, I'm just going to act on that. You're going to need a wet nurse. I know somebody. I know somebody. And then you know what she did? She brought her mom in. So her mom, even though she had to, she, she did not want to get rid of that was what she had to do. She still got to be able to be with her child and to watch it grow up because Miriam was a quick thinker. She was a natural leader. What else did Miriam get to do? She was literally leading the people alongside Aaron and Moses. <laughs> she was leading people in praises to God. Miriam is known as one of God's prophets. These are major accomplishments. This is a major thing. She's she's amazing. She's not going to see herself that way. But even the chosen and leaders can fall. While watching Moses, because like I said, she gets to grow up and be with him, while watching him rise to greatness, she was no longer content just to serve alongside him. You see, Miriam's going to get jealous. And she will begin to criticize And since there were few complaints that she could sling at Moses, 
she chose to criticize his wife. So just because you may think you're living stellar and you're all good doesn't mean that somebody's not going to attack something around you or someone close to you. It can come from all different directions. You can go from, like Miriam, watching over your leaders, leading others into worship, to criticizing and jealousy. <laughs> We're all subject to it. If you don't think you are, you haven't lived a little bit. We're all subject to it. The root of the issue is what is the motive behind the criticism? What is the motive behind the criticism? It's normally something that's going on with us. It's not really a problem with that other person. It's something within us. So we're going to see, I want you all to see what happened to Miriam. So if you don't think that God is a God who judges and God is not a God who's just, you got to remember, Miriam was a prophet of his. He loved her. He allowed her to serve. He allowed her to enter praise and worship. This woman, not too long ago, was dancing at a river with tambourines. you got to remember where she was at. So don't, don't never forget where she was at because this is what's going to happen, and it can happen so quickly. So while they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? And the Lord heard them. Even when nobody else is listening, God hears. Now Moses was humble, more humble than any other person on this earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He calls down and he says, go out to the tabernacle. All three of you. Can you imagine when I read this, I pictured it, you know, like God was getting on to them. All three of you, out to your room. You know what I mean? That's what I pictured. And he tells them, all three of you, get out to the tabernacle. And so then the Lord descended. Here comes God. Like a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called. <laughs> and they stepped forward. Can you imagine? He's calling your name and you know that he ain't happy. He calls them and he says, Aaron and Miriam. And he said, they stepped forward and the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was angry with them. And he departed, and as the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin white as snow from leprosy. And when Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish for this sin we have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So Moses, now granted, they criticized his wife. They tried to come at him. Moses cries out to the Lord and says, Oh, God, I beg you, please heal her. And the Lord said to Moses, If her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they would ever travel again. She didn't realize that in trying to tear down Moses as a leader, she was tearing down God. When you tear down God's leaders and you criticize God's leaders, you're tearing down God. Why? Because God chose them. 
If God chooses that person to be your pastor, your worship leader, then that is who God has chosen. And if we choose to criticize them, then we are tearing down God and we're saying, you didn't have the right to choose. And who else has that right? She received leprosy as a punishment. Moses pleads on her behalf. The very person that you question in authority may be the very person to plead on your behalf. People... Never doubt the, in, the intersecting of the saints on your behalf. Never doubt that the man that you're putting down will be the first man to pray for you. If you don't believe it, I've seen it time and time again. I've seen people put down, and yet the very person that you're putting down is the person that's praying for you. Two months ago, I entered spiritual warfare. Nobody, not even Jason, not my, not my closest friends, nobody knows. But two months ago, I entered spiritual warfare for a brother or a sister in Christ because somebody said something in my presence that was not meaning to. It was in a place where I should not have, but I heard it, and I'm telling you what, it broke me to my very core. Nobody has to know what I'm praying about. That person was chosen by God. That person should still be prayed for and loved. It is not in our, in our place to sit in judgment. God alone will do that. My job as that person's sister is to intercede and pray for that person and say, if it is God, help them. If it's not God, make it right. That is our job. That is what we're supposed to do, and we're supposed to do it with loyalty. The punishment that you've seen right here whenever Moses starts interceding on her behalf is that it got shortened to seven days. God was lenient on her. God set her aside for seven days. And then he restored her health. But you know what it doesn't say he done? So don't think, don't think that he still doesn't know because he still did not say. It never says that her influence was again blessed by God. You never read about her again being influenced by God. He restored her health. But he never, ever put influence over her again. As a matter of fact, we need to remember that God above is the one who gives us talent and importance. It's him. We also see in verse 15 that they waited on her seven days before they traveled again. Moses could have said, she's got to hang out here for seven days. I helped her. I got her back where she needed to be. So let's roll on down towards the promised land. But he didn't say that. They waited seven more days. They waited on her. Don't leave your people behind because they've done something that you're not proud of because God's restoring in seven days. If he can restore somebody in seven days, then why can't he restore somebody that you know? To me, this is a caution not to leave the others behind because if God chose to forgive them and restore them, then so should we. Who are we to say that God cannot restore that person? We can't. Because how, how are we when we were the person that somebody said, oh, that person will never change. That person will never know God on that level. We were the people that got restored by God. It's also important for you to note something else. Miriam died before she ever reached the promised land. And, it, and I can tell you scriptures about that, but she did. She died before she ever reached the promised land. Like Miriam... If we don't continue to use our praise as warfare, if we lay down our tambourines, then we will not see the promised land. Rather better to live in a continual spirit of worship than to never reach glory. Sometimes people say, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing, but have you worshipped? 
because sometimes your prayer is not being interceded because you haven't chose to worship yet. And so God has shown me throughout this study that I have things in my life that I'm praying for. I want them to happen so bad. And I'm just constantly interceding with God. People that I love, people that I'm close to, people that I want to see. And God said, you have prayed, you cry your tears for them, but have you worshipped for them? Have you worshipped in their place? And said, they can't worship, but I'm going to worship for them. They're not in a healthy mindset yet, Lord, but I'm going to dance for them. But I'm going to sing for them. But I'm going to intercede for them because I want them restored. So God really, really put it on my heart. He said, you got to use worship as warfare. It's not enough to just go in and be like, Lord, I really want... God's like, no, I want you to battle. I want you to... Somebody battled for you. And it wasn't... And I can tell you for us, it wasn't a parent. It wasn't. My mom and daddy ain't where they need to be. And I love them. And I don't know if they'll ever hear me say that, but they're not. My parents are not where they need to be. My parents didn't battle. My brother and my sister didn't battle. I had a set of friends that battled. And every single time they see me, they said, We love you. We hope you'll come. We hope you'll visit. And then you know who battled for me? God. I walked into a church because of my friends' prayers. But I walked down and found God because God did it. But because of their interceding, I was at a place where I felt him call to me. I'm not going to tell you that I answered the first time. I white-knuckled that bench to death. But eventually God led me down to an altar of worship. Do not doubt that your worship is bringing somebody else in. So because they stood in the gap for me, do you know what I'm saying now? I'm going to worship for my mom and my daddy. I'm going to worship for my brother and my sister. I'm going to worship for those that I love, those people that are close to me, and I'm going to worship and worship and worship until they can worship. God's going to restore, and I believe it. The other day, Brother Dean said something. He was praying over here, and I was praying back there, and I talked to God like he's my best friend. And I was just talking to him, and I mean, I was just, me and him was just going after it, you know, and I was just like, yeah, God, you know, and I just started laughing because God showed me an image. He's showing me an image in this church of people coming in and hungry. And he showed me pews full. And when I looked around, it was people I knew. It was people you knew. It was people you were praying for. And I laughed. And Brother Dean said later, he said, what was so funny? And I said, boy, Jesus was just showing me something. And he said, that's good. <laughs> you know, he said, I just want to make sure he's okay. I said, yeah, I'm good. And me and God was getting with it. He's like my best friend. And he was showing me, and I was laughing like, okay, God, I get you. So God has given me that, and I believe it, and I choose to claim it. The choice is if you choose to or not. And this might have fell on some, some deaf ears, but I, I don't know. But I pray it fell onto some dry bones. <laughs> and I hope that your spirits become awakened and that you can worship and love in freedom of what God called you to be. I'm not asking you all to come through here playing a tambourine. Because, I mean, very few people can do that. What I'm asking you to do is, I'm just saying, nobody plays their tambourines before I do. I'm working on it. <laughs> no, I'm playing. Um, what I'm saying is, I want you to find your way of worship. I want, you to, I want you to feel free in it. And I want you to love God. And I want you to intercede for people. And don't give up. Don't leave them behind. Because you're tired. And because you're battling. 
You're not in a war alone. God goes in with every single battle with you. And if you think you're in it and just you and God, look beside you. Look at the people surrounding you. Those people will battle with you. And if you don't know somebody, call me. I will. Because, I mean, my point is we got to battle for each other. we got to battle. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.